oh, this has been one of the uh, the most rapid uh, growing economies uh, in the world for the last uh, yes twenty to thirty years, and the poverty reduction impact there is just enormous. That's Shengen Fan, and you're listening to Ending Hunger and Malnutrition. Can it really be done? I'm Sivan Yosef, Senior Program Manager at the International Food Policy Research Institute, IFPRI. On this podcast, we talk to the world's top scientists, policymakers, and practitioners about ending hunger and malnutrition in under a decade. We teamed up with a group of passionate, engaged public health grad students at the University of Michigan. Each episode, one of the students will conduct an interview for us. China's economic growth during the past few decades has been stunning, pulling half of its undernourished citizens out of poverty and hunger. But what about everyone else? There are still 150 million poor people living in the countryside. What does the future hold for them? Bella Harold chats with Shengen Fan, IFPRI's director general, about undernutrition, obesity, and the trend taking China by storm, urbanization. Dr. Fan begins by telling us about his background. I grew up in China. I was a small farm um, producer, and also uh, I raised chicken, pigs, goats, and beyond. My family was poor, hungry, and we had a small piece of land, uh, but uh, we worked very hard. We were able to uh, feed ourselves. Uh, then later on, I went to um, a Nanjing Agricultural University to study agricultural economics and uh, to uh, find a certain policy solutions to, uh, to, to solve our food security uh, in China, in my hometown, in my province. And I joined IPRI about uh, uh, 21 years ago uh, as a research fellow. I became director, director general of IPRI uh, about uh, seven years ago. So China became one of the top 20 countries with the largest GDP from 1990 to 2014. How do you think this immense economic growth in the past 30 years has reduced poverty across the country? Oh, this has been one of the, uh, the most rapid uh, growing economies uh, in the world for the last uh, yes, 20 to 30 years. And the poverty reduction impact there is just enormous. Uh, so probably uh, China's poverty reduction accounts for uh, one of the largest share of poverty reduction uh, globally. So without China's poverty reduction, uh, we would have not achieved so-called SDG or MDG1, Millennium Development Goal, to reduce uh, poverty by half from 1990 to 2015. And in which regions of China has poverty reduction especially succeeded? Well, I think it's almost everywhere, but uh, it uh, um, it happened phase by phase and also region by region. It has sta- it, it started from a coastal area, a more development area close to Shanghai to Guangzhou, uh, then later on to um, Shanghai uh, to um, Beijing and so on. So the coastal area, and lots of foreign direct investment, uh, lots of uh, imports exports from that area. So the poverty reduction. Uh, went down dramatically because of that, because the farmers uh, were able to move to the cities uh, to find jobs in the manufacturing industry. And then later on, the, uh, the industry uh, in the coastal area began to move up, and not just a sim- simple uh, processing, uh, but they begin to move up to electronics, to, um, to high-tech. 
Um, okay, so we just talked about where poverty reduction has especially succeeded. Are there areas where it has failed or potentially missed the mark across China? Yeah, I think uh, in uh, Western China, in some of the very remote areas where the uh, minority, you know, the, the Han Chinese, the majority, ninety uh, percent, but China also has uh, some minority. So they they live in very remote areas where the access to roads, to water, to electricity, and to urban jobs uh, have been very difficult. They also don't speak uh, the Mandarin or the Chinese. So it's a it's a burden or it's a bottleneck for them to find a job outside of the area. So that has been the area uh, of the people who have lagged behind, and that needs some uh, more effort to uh, move them out of poverty. Can you talk a bit about how the Chinese diet has changed as a result of this economic growth and poverty reduction? Oh, it has changed dramatically, dramatically. So just in a decade or two, uh, China experienced a rapid diet transition from hunger uh, and uh, undernourishment to overweight and obesity. What obviously some uh, pocket of population still are uh, still suffering from hunger, the lack of food to eat, and also uh, the hidden hunger, lack of micronutrients. So undernourishment, the first burden. I'm very confident China will be able to eliminate that, or almost eliminate that, uh, by 2020, uh, probably by 2025. But hidden hunger, the lack of micronutrients, uh, will continue. Uh, Neck of iron, neck of zinc, uh, neck of uh, it's a vitamins, neck of uh, iron uh, in in our diet. Then the overweight obesity, you know, these are latest trends in uh, urban centers, uh, in um, let's say in coastal areas. I think the uh, education uh, will be more important than anything else. But the general trend is uh, the rapid transition uh, from under undernutrition from hunger to overnutrition and, and uh, obesity. And that happened just uh, in a decade or two. And I have seen uh, lots of um, uh, let's say communications from TV, uh, from uh, radios, uh, from uh, internet to reduce overweight and obesity. So I have seen some uh, good progress on that. So commitments are there, dedications are there, but among three burdens, uh, I, I must say that uh, uh, they are not even. And how can China make sure that its economic growth does not leave those living in the countryside behind in terms of hidden hunger and malnutrition? Well, firstly, the economic growth must be very inclusive. Inclusive. So whether it's uh, agricultural growth or growth in our food system or growth in, in urban center, we must make sure that uh, some of the disadvantaged groups like women, youth, um, and a minority group they must benefit uh, from growth, from um, the different strategy interventions. So that's number one, so inclusive growth. A second is social protection. Yes, many people will not be able to, it's to benefit from growth. Uh, we'll not be able to uh, participate in the labor market or employment. So they need support in the short run. So the social protection. I think China begin to uh, implement uh, certain social protection. Uh, but it also has to be make sure that uh, the social protection will need to a long-term growth. So these people uh, who have received help, uh, short-term help, uh, should be able to find a job, should be able to partic participate in economic growth process. 
How has urbanization affected China's agricultural landscape? Mm. Yeah, well, the, the urbanization uh, obviously provides opportunities for food and nutrition security. You know, when, when people move to cities, uh, usually they have access to more diverse uh, foods, uh, more diverse uh, high-quality and safe foods. Uh, that's uh, the, the, our finding. Uh, on the other hand, uh, when people move to cities, they require more land, water, uh, energy uh, it's a, to have an urban life. So that creates pressure for agriculture. So both challenge, challenge and opportunities. So the question is, how can we really use uh, this opportunity to, to tackle some of the challenges? Uh, there are several options. The one is to uh, to promote, uh, let's say, a value chain or food system that can link millions and millions of smallholders to increased affluent urban citizens. So how can we use certain policies and technologies like internet uh, and uh, uh, investment to make that food system or chain work. I think that present, uh, presents uh, a greatest opportunity to solve uh, food security and hunger in both rural areas and uh, urban cities. Do you think that too much urban transition can reduce agricultural labor availability? Yeah, labor is an issue, but more importantly, uh, is uh, mechanization, uh, consolidation mm -hmm. of the farm size to make sure that uh, uh, the farming is efficient, effective, and the farming can provide a good, decent life for people who stay behind, particularly uh, young people. Do you believe that young people are still willing to stay on farms and practice farming? What has the demographic shift in terms of urbanization looked like in the push to cities? As I call uh, this phenomenon called move up or move out. If certain smallholders uh, have opportunities in the cities, particularly young, let's say, uh, youth uh, in, in, in rural areas, if they have opportunities in cities, I think we should encourage them to move to the cities. And for, for these young people who are left behind, then they will be able to have opportunities to increase the size, uh, to access to credit, to capital, to investment, and to market. So they will be able to move up. So move up by engaging in high-value food production, by engaging in, uh, let's say, urban markets. Yes, urban markets and non-farm markets. I think the opportunity is great. What kinds of policies or interventions will be most useful for additionally combating uh, the many hidden faces of malnutrition in China? Some of the policies must be uh, reformed. For example, the current policy to subsidize uh, wheat production, rice production, uh, or, or maize production in many parts of the country uh, must be reformed to remove uh, this, uh, some of these subsidies, to use the money uh, to promote more nutritious, more healthy food, like uh, beans, uh, certain dairy production, vegetables, fruits, and so on. Another area is education. How can we mainstream the nutrition education and food security uh, education into it's a high school uh, curriculum, into college uh, curriculum. And right now, even, even the universities, the education is still very much in silo. So I have not seen, let's say, a program that, can, that links 
that's agriculture, food security, nutrition together. And obviously, uh, the behaviors, individuals' behavior. So how can we really change our behavior? Okay, after education, after good policy, and actually I know what's good for my health, what kind of foods are good for my health, what kind of foods are not good, good for my health. But changing my behavior uh, is very difficult. So finally, when you think about China's changing food and nutrition landscapes, what are you most hopeful for? Well, obviously, I do hope that everybody in China will be um, fed nutritiously and healthily and uh, sustainably. So here, up to now, we have not discussed about uh, the environment, right? I think our food production, our food system uh, can also contribute uh, to the positive side of the climate, climate change, to mitigate the climate change, to save water, save land, save the environment, so can provide environmental uh, services, uh, amenities for our population. So yes, definitely uh, everybody has to be fed nutritious and healthy. But at the same time, let's make sure that we can reduce, uh, let's say, the water footprints, the climate footprints our, of our food production. Shengen Fan is the Director General of IFPRI. To learn more about his work, please visit ifpri.org. Bella Harold is a grad student in the University of Michigan School of Public Health. This podcast is a joint activity of IFPRI's Nourishing Millions Project and the Department of Nutritional Sciences at the University of Michigan School of Public Health. You can subscribe to this podcast and learn a lot more about IFPRI by going to the IFPRI website, ifpri.org or the Nourishing Millions website, nourishingmillions.ifpre.info. Today's show was produced by Erica Shaver, Bella Harold, Andrew Jones, Zach Rosen, and me, Sivan Yosef. Zach Rosen edited our interview. Music from today's show comes from the Free Music Archive. Until next time, let's innovate, learn, and speed up progress on ending hunger and malnutrition. <laughs>